Hey now, it's Rob from Rob School of Music. Today on the podcast, we have the amazing Yvette Young. See you on the other side. Hey now guys, it's Rob here from Rob School of Music. I hope everyone is staying safe and doing well out there. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited. I had an amazing conversation with Yvette Young. She's a classically trained piano player. She plays violin. And of course, you guys know her as a guitar player from her own music and with her band Covet. We discuss her brand new Ibanez signature Talman model guitar and the sparkly lime green color. I got to touch that guitar at Nam, play it a bit. It's amazing. Just wanted to make sure everyone's doing all right. As always, we're doing the online lessons, guys. Check us out, robschoolofmusic.com. We can teach any hour of the day, any place around the world with our amazing virtual lessons. All of our teachers are fully equipped with setups in the remote studios to teach you. We have tons of supplemental handouts and videos to give you guys to bring you to wherever you want to become as a guitar player, bass player, drummer, vocalist, piano player, ukulele, even violin. We've got you covered. So check us out, robschoolofmusic.com. Coming up, we have some amazing people down the road. Next week, we have Tim Stewart, Mark Letiri, Tim Pierce, Rudy Sarzo, Bruce Kulik. The list keeps growing. I feel so honored and grateful to be able to interview all of these legends and bring this information to you guys. So thank you, as always, for tuning in. Also, don't forget to check us out on YouTube. We're putting up videos every week. Recently, I've been doing a series demoing different presets, one preset per video from the amazing Fractal Audio FM3. This unit has changed my perception of modelers. This thing is the shit. All right, guys. Hope to see you online at the lessons. Hope to see you on Instagram every Wednesday, 6 p.m. You can watch the live video. And here we go. My amazing conversation with the incredible Yvette Young. So thank you so, so much for being part of this. It is an honor to be getting to have this conversation with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for having me be a part of this. It's fun. Yeah. Awesome. So I have a bunch of questions that our students have given us that I'll just kind of ask and then answer them however you like. And we can go on tangents and take stuff out of the comments, you know, wherever it goes. Perfect. Sounds good. Cool. You have your own signature model this year. I played it at NAM. It's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, what, what's, what was the process in developing that? And like, you know, what was all that like? Well, it was, it was a surprise. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> I, I still don't, I don't know. I don't think I'll ever feel worthy. Of it. I got offered a signature a while back and not to be like cool girl flexing, but I actually turned it down because I felt like number one, I didn't know as a musician what I wanted and I didn't feel like um, I had a voice yet. I just feel like it was a little bit uh, premature for me at that, at that time. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know what pickups I liked. Um, and yeah, so I was like, let's rain check this. And then later on, I, I got offered this Ibanez signature and I was like, you know what? Like, it's now or never, I'm ready. <laughs> so we ended up working on it together. Um, me and the, the artist rep at Ibanez, Mike, he helped me a lot with deciding the specs. We modeled it after this um, Sunburst Talman and this uh, the other Sparkle Talman that I have. Uh, one thing I really enjoy about uh, Ibanez guitars is their necks. I, I feel yeah. like, yeah. So. <laughs> Very cool. I love the color, the, the slime green sparkle. Thank you. Yeah. Magical. Really bold. <laughs> <laughs> um, the pickups in there, what, what are they? Is that something you designed or? Um, I did not design them. They're big. Uh, it just comes with the Seymour Duncan 5-2 Strat set. But maybe, you know, in the future, I also do play Telecasters. So maybe in the future, we'll do a Tele set as well. Cool. Awesome. Um, so a lot of our students here, uh, we do music lessons. We used to do them in person and now we can't. So we moved everything online, which has been super cool because it allows us now to teach people all around the world, which has been kind of exciting. Um, a lot of our students inside of the school that are starting to form bands happen to be female at this point. So um, it's super cool. We, we just had a band practice with a bunch of them tonight. So they're probably on here watching. <laughs> but they were, um, what's, what's your experience been, you know, being 
and not to sound completely stupid and ignorant and sexist, but like a dude's world, like, like your confidence and what you're doing is so incredible. Like, has there been bullshit because of that or just people are just cool? Um, I think there's bullshit for everyone. I know that's a cop-out, <laughs> that's a cop-out answer. Everyone deals with so much bullshit, but yeah, there's definitely challenges that are exclusive to females. Um, I will say one of the most frustrating, th- I actually just did an interview about this. One of the most frustrating things um, just to be candid, is trying to um, keep trying to figure out people's intentions and keep things professional because sometimes certain lines get blurred. And it's also really difficult because I feel like, I don't know if guys deal with this as much, but when, you're, <laughs> when your life's like a sausage fest, you kind of have to figure out how to sidestep advances gracefully and make it about work without burning that professional bridge because you don't want to come across as like antagonistic and accusatory. You know, you want to just deal with everything really gracefully. And I think that's been one of the main challenges. Um, In addition to that, people always have um, presumptions about women and what kind of music they play. And, you know, definitely when, when we, uh, when we roll roll up to a venue, usually I don't get talked to first. Usually one of my bandmates, like, you know, gets interacted with. Sometimes I get kicked out of my own shows. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I, I just think it's funny. One time I got kicked out of my own show because they thought I was buying merch and just like lingering around to talk to the band guys. <laughs> I was oh like, God. I just played. Like, didn't you see me up there? <laughs> wow. But yeah, it, there's a lot of bullshit for everyone. I think it's just it's just a challenging place to navigate. No, it's definitely it's it's your role model in a lot of ways because one of our students here, she's a piano player and she does all instrumental stuff. We're trying to get her to sing and, and she's getting there, but she's amazing. She, she just shreds on the piano and she's in a band with a bunch of dudes and we've like booked shows for them and everyone assumes she's just someone's girlfriend. And I'm like, no, 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 she's, she's yeah. the, she's the one like it, it's ignorant, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's to me, it's funny. Like I'm less offended. I feel like my way of dealing with everything shitty that's happened to me is just like turning it into some kind of joke or just like laughing it off. Cause what can you do? I think instead of like being arguing with someone or making them feel ashamed or embarrassed, like the best thing you can do is to just like go up there on stage and kill it and like show people, you know? So hopefully with time, I'm really optimistic. I feel like that kind of attitude will disappear especially because more girls are picking up guitar. You said a lot of girls are starting bands and I think that's so cool. I, whatever I can do to support that, whatever I can do to like keep that torch going, I guess I'll do. (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. You're killing it. So whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. Thanks. Um, What was your first like meaningful record? And then second part, what was your first like meaningful concert? The stuff like sh- that shaped you. You mean um, like something you listen- I purchased. Yeah. All right. So the first time I discovered rock and roll, <laughs> I I grew up purely classical. So I would play classical concerts all the time, recite piano recitals, eight of my existence, orchestra <laughs> concerts. So you know those listening environments in general are oftentimes more tense and sterile, like nobody makes a peep, everyone's really quiet. So I come from having to play gigs like that. Uh, and I, you know, I grew up listening to mostly classical music. And then I discovered one time on an airplane, I was just listening to the radio and I discovered the darkness. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, this is sick. <laughs> like, so cool, it's so catchy. And then, you know, I also went to a lot of shows growing up, um, I used to, sneak out of my house to go to shows (laughs) in high school and I always wanted to start a band and and do what the people I grew up watching do um so I guess okay meaningful record probably that darkness it's not a record but it was like honestly permission is that record is that uh I believe it's permission to land permission to land is that the record okay Uh, love is only a feeling but those songs man they're just it's like banger banger banger, banger. oh it's great so, yeah <laughs> and they have the most amazing amazing stage presence as well um and then live show the most impactful 
I would say, you know what, recently I, it was very recent. I went to see Olafur Arnold's play at, uh, in San Francisco. He's this uh, composer that I really like to look up to, uh, Icelandic dude. He has a lot of electronic music production as well. He always partners with Nils Fromm and he has a side project called Chiasmos. And I saw Olafur play and it was just like, I was on the edge of my seat. Sorry, it was like a bug. Uh, I was on the edge of my seat and holding my breath because it was just so delicate and emotional. Everyone was really quiet. Like it kind of reminded me of growing up um, playing those classical concerts. But what he does is he bridges the kind of electronic dance music world with the classical world, with the rock world. And he's able to pull off these like really beautiful light shows as well that maintain that like intimate, delicate environment. I, don't know, I, I thought it was something really special. Definitely shed a tear or two. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. It's funny the darkness you say. Like I remember so vividly when they were coming out and it's like at the time it was like the strokes and the hives and that's what rock music was. And then that record came out. I saw them at Irving Plaza, tiny space in New York. And after I left, I'm like, I need a white Les Paul custom because that is rock and roll. Like he just, it was so epic. So cool. I need, I need a leotard that like goes to the, the, you know, the del the nether region. I totally stopped manscaping my chest after that too. Cause he had like the, the chest there and I was like, that's cool. And quickly I realized maybe that was a little too far, but. <laughs> the fact that he's as old as he is and he's still pulling off those leopard print, like monokini leotard things is insane. Yes. What a goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's the most difficult part of that, like life on the road for you, like? All right, this one's, this one's a novel. <laughs> okay, I will say on tour, it is fun. There's something really cool, about, a novel about being in a different city every night. But I will say that, I mean, just to be candid as well, uh, my uh, personal life and my home life has definitely suffered as a result of just being absent all the time and you know you're on the road it takes a strain on your mental health because you're not sleeping you're certainly not eating everyone i'm vegetarian but everyone in my band like likes like taco bell and chick-fil-a and stuff like that so i'm just like ah <laughs> I'm, and i end up eating a lot of like gas station weird like chimera meals where i just put a bunch of random crap i feel your pain i'm vegetarian as well so or vegan <laughs> even at home and it's impossible to be out there yeah, it's, it's difficult. So there's that aspect of it where it's like literally it's physically taking a toll. Um, you hear that? Yes, that's here. That's, that's, there's a train that goes by outside where the school is. So yes, it's not like a nuclear bomb alarm or something. I know. I, I used to think that's what it was, but no, no, it's, I apologize. Kind of sounds like War of the Worlds, like aliens. Yes. It, it feels like that here because like I come in our school is in the town and I'll come here during the day to teach the online lessons no one's in the school but when I leave at night like we're in like a strip and a town and it's a ghost town it's like you walk out and it's pitch black and that nuclear alarm is going off and I'm like I just want to get to my car please no one cough on me <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess you were so calm through it um, yeah, yeah we're safe don't worry okay uh, <laughs> one thing I wanted to add about the touring thing is going back to the personal life thing um, I, it's really difficult to maintain friendships, really difficult to maintain relationships. I would say that I'm already kind of like a lone wolf, solitary person. When I'm home, I just, like, even this quarantine, I just stay in and work and write music. But, you know, I think all my friends are absolute angels because they know that I'm, they're never going to see me. <laughs> I think I, I, I make dates with my friends just to like have a meal and I see them maybe once every three months. And so there's something really weird about the um, the dissonance that the touring lifestyle creates when when you're you know you have a bunch of friends and family at home but you just never get to see them. It kind of makes puts a huge strain on, on that whole world. So I'm still trying to figure it out. I still don't know how to balance it. Um, maybe some people who have done it longer have a rhythm going. I really admire anyone who can like keep a relationship going or like be married or something and maintain that. I think, you know, that that's a question that I try and ask everyone. Like I, 
I don't tour anymore, but my girlfriend's a singer, so we do music together. So at least we get to have that relationship element. So we're, wherever we go, we're together. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I think the only way that it's sustainable is to have, like you said, friends that are understanding because you miss so many birthdays and yeah. parties and christenings and all these things that are so important in other people's lives. But it's like, you're going to work. Like, this is your yeah. job. Yeah. And it, on one hand, you feel like you have, I have a wealth of friends and acquaintances all over the world. I'm really like blessed to have that. But also it's a really lonely life. Like you just never get to have like a constant group of people you see. Yes. So, yeah, it's a good trade off though. I mean, I'd rather, I, I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. Totally. You're killing it. Uh, so a question that connects right into that. So what, what's your best uh, on the road experiences and what are some of your worst on the road experiences? Hmm. Best on the road experience, meeting really cool new people, making connections that I would normally never ever in any lifetime get to, to make. Um, and then seeing how happy you can make people. Uh, it kind of feels like you, you have a superpower. Like I remember yeah. when I was going to shows, in high school, I would really look up to the people in bands that were performing. I'd be like, oh my God, like there's so-and-so from blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, you know, if they were nice to me, it totally made my day. It, I, I would go home with a huge smile on my face. I would be like elated. So it's so bizarre. I would have never guessed that I would be in a position to like, you know, give someone that experience. And it's like crazy to me. like. I think it's it's cool, but I also have to be really responsible. About it. That's something I think about as well. Like when I am on tour, when I meet people, I am technically at work as well. So I have to be on my best behavior because I don't want anyone to misconstrue anything. I don't. If I'm in a bad mood, if I'm if I have something rough going on, I don't want to take it to my workplace and and inevitably have that affect my interactions with other people. So. Um, Sorry, I went on a tangent there, but no, please go wherever you want. This I love like just these are like a rough guideline. Like take it wherever you want. That's awesome. Yeah, I just I like I like making people happy. I'm definitely people pleaser. So when I get the opportunity to ins inspire anyone and and make their day, like of course I'll do it. Um, worst touring experience, I would say, you know things do get hairy. It's not all. I may seem like I'm all Pollyanna about all, the whole the whole thing, but there are there are moments on the road where things do get tense. And one big thing about touring in a band is that you have to have great communication skills. Um, not to say that we're perfect or we figured it out as well, but certainly from day one we've um, traveled very far <laughs> and made a lot of progress on it. Um, you have to be really good about talking about your needs um, for space. Uh, you know, and you're all stuck. We, we'll, we still do like van tours, sometimes bus tours, very rarely. We're not that level yet, but we're in a small confined space together all the time on zero hours of sleep. We're going to go at each other's throats. We're going to, you know, um, have issues. And I think that's when it gets really hairy. And that's when I personally get the most demoralized because I don't like conflict that much. Um, but, you know, when we work it out, we end up a lot closer. And that's the goal, I think. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how do you handle it when something goes wrong with your gear? Like, how do you keep your composure? Um, I did a gig in Vermont on New Year's Eve and my pedals went out and I had to play a lot of different genres of music. So I was very reliant on this 13 pedal, nearly pornographic pedal board at my feet that stopped working. <laughs> for an entire set, you just had to plug right into the front of the amp. Like, how do you, you know, like effects are part of, you know, fattening up your tone and things. So like, how do you, has that happened? And what do you do when that happens? Yes, absolutely. All the time. That's one of my least favorite things about tour is that I feel like every show feels like Russian roulette. You just uh, never know what you're going to get. You might have the worst show of your life. You might have the best show of your life. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of fun too, <laughs> but I will say my way of dealing with that is to have always have a backup plan. Always have a plan B. David, my bass player, his board's huger than mine, and he always has a line selector so he can bypass certain things um, if he needs to. Me, I've had a show where okay, so story time. I was playing a show in Arizona, and um, my I know okay so. 
we were all in the green room and we were joking with each other like i was like david i dare you to tell me where to play the perfect set and he's like i'll do it and i was like no please don't do it that's so arrogant please don't say that and he's like no you dared me and i'm gonna do it so we go up on stage and he immediately is like ladies and gentlemen what you're about to witness is the perfect set <laughs> and i was like oh god and so he, he purposely jinxed the first note and uh played the like totally played an atonal chord and i was like ah and then my i noticed that like i was starting to play on my board the volume started dying it wasn't like a hard cut it was like you know like a gradual diminuendo decrescendo so i was like all right here's a powering issue for sure because if it was a cable i feel like it would be just like a hard cut you know something right like, but it's diminishing yeah. yeah or it would just be really gainy and like over yeah. like unclear muddy sounding so i was like uh oh, powering issue so i tried to like swap out a bunch of stuff but you know you're kind of playing on the fly and like problem solving at the same time multitasking is impossible so I ended up just unplugging from my board, getting exasperated, and just plugging directly into my amp. And I played the whole set that way. And the only reason I was able to do that was because I practice at home without any of my effects always. I always want to make sure that even if I don't have my effects, what I'm playing is still compelling and what I can still get the clarity and no definition um, I need to, to put on a good show. And you know what's cool about that is everyone was – very supportive for the most part. Um, and it's kind of cool, like when you, when everyone sees that you're human and you fuck up, but you're able to recover and still maintain your composure. So sometimes I think that's even a, a cooler experience than having a perfect set. So maybe David is right. Maybe that was the perfect set. There you go. Wow, look at that. That's yeah. <laughs> oh, and I forgot to mention, he hit his head on a beam and started bleeding. So oh, no. it was just... <laughs> It was something out of like Spinal Tap, I swear. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but what was what ended up happening, just in case anyone ever has this issue live, is one of the pedals was actually being, it was in the wrong voltage slot and it was being slightly underpowered. So it was just affecting the whole board. So I was able to fix it later just by giving it the proper power supply. That's awesome. That that really does feel like the perfect situation. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> technical difficulties but hey i recovered that there you go see <laughs> for professional interview guys here we got this set um what's that oh with with you know things going wrong like again we're a school so a lot of the students they'll, they'll come in like oh i got this delay pedal like now i can really play solos and i'm like okay turn it off you know play it clean without it because I, I look at all the effects as ways to color what's already existing, but if it's shit in, shit out, and, and you really got to have it solid. Yeah. And especially, I mean, your, your, your style is so technical and so precise. Like I would imagine that if you were hitting a bad note and then the reverb or delay catch that note, it's just more of not what you want. So oh, yeah. very it's cool. Reminder of your incompetence when you have a delay. <laughs> <laughs> like on maxed out you just hear your mistake being played to you where you have like an existential meltdown in words <laughs> so you're classically trained piano came first mm -hmm. and then violin oh um so what a constant struggle for us here is kids fight us on theory and my philosophy is theory should become supplemental to music but don't let it stand in the way of being creative like we have one person here who is on track to get into Berkeley and, you know, go all the way, but he or she constantly um, stumbles over themselves because, well, that, that can't work. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter if it can't work because it's working. So how important do you think theory is um, to a complete musician? So I think music was first made without theory. People literally just were trying to express themselves. And then theory was developed as a language later to help compartmentalize and like organize those thoughts and have like a common, a common language to express something that seems so abstract and uh, nebulous. So I think uh, you're right in saying that it should be supplemental, I think, in my humble opinion. Um, I think there's many ways, I hate this expression, there's many ways to skin a cat, but 
you know, it, for, for the sake of the analogy here, <laughs> I think you can approach music in that, like, like how I work is I write with my ear. I sing everything. So when I'm writing a lead, I'm working on a solo right now. Last night I was toiling at it and literally <laughs> I was singing it, trying to figure out where I want it to go. Um, I listened to the other person's part like a hundred times and I, I just internalized that. And then I am able to hear all the harmonies and all the possible melodic directions that I could go. I remember I was cooking dinner and I was like literally just singing to my phone, like ideas that I had. Um, so to me, that's step one of writing and that doesn't involve theory at all. But I think the fact that I can hear all of that is because of my theory training with classical music, like I have the ear training. So in that regard, I think um, ear training is probably the best thing you can ever do for yourself. And it's the quickest way to speed up your process writing because you can take what you hear in your head translate it to your voice, which is arguably everyone's first instrument. Um, it goes through the least amount of filters cognitively, and then you can just immediately translate that to your instrument because you can hear everything. Um, you can hear intervals and how notes relate to each other. So I think that has been really helpful. I play a lot of odd meter polyrhythmic stuff, but truth be told is I don't think about it at all. I, I kind of just write um, stuff and I, I groove to it but and then later when I'm explaining it to my poor drummer who has to figure out what the hell I did <laughs> we, we sit down and we dissect it rhythmically and we assign um, the, the actual time signature to it and then we also figure out phrasing and I tell him where I want accents and all of that jazz very cool that's a fantastic answer that that's a question I try and ask everyone because I think getting the perspective of a professional um, you know, it definitely just gives people, and there is no right answer or wrong yeah. answer, but that, that was very brilliantly said. So wow. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I will say that theory is so important for being able to communicate with other people. I think, I think I've had to like learn how to like, but sometimes it's a true thing. Like I can't just be like, okay, it goes like, but up, but like, you know, I gotta be like, this is, this is, um, you know, this part's in five, and then it goes into a part in seven, and then there's a triplet, and then it goes, you know, so that's, it just helps me translate my ideas to others. But when I'm working with myself, I'm not in theory world at all, at all. <laughs> How did you develop, like, playing things in the odd meters and stuff is like, where is that coming from? What were your influences with that? I think it's just like a lot of the music I listen to. Um, I grew up listening to, uh, you know, okay, classical music, there's some composers that definitely do compound meter things, um, especially in the more contemporary era. Um, but I, I remember listening to bands like Terramelos, Nuido, that's a super obscure band from Japan. Uh, a lot of like PTNG and a lot of like just math rock bands, Midwest emo, Twinkle, math rock, that kind of scene. And a lot of those bands do employ stuff that's like kind of more jagged instead of like four, four flowy. And I always loved that. To me, it was like so surprising. I would listen to it and I could still do like, okay, so I, I love the catchiness of stuff that's like poppy and in four, but I also love being surprised by odd meter things. So in my band, I think I like to try to unify those two worlds in that like it is odd meter, but it's like I'm secretly doing it. Nobody can tell, you know, you can still be <laughs> dancing to it, but you're dancing in five and you don't know <laughs> so honestly i think that is like um one of the teachers here his name is seth mutal he works with this guy john ferrara and they do a drum and bass duo and none of it, it like four four is like a bad word to these guys but the music <laughs> is catchy and it's yeah. danceable and it's i think it takes the most it's like a it's like a sorcerer like a wizard of some kind to take super complex music where it's mm -hmm odd times and weird things are coming left and right and then it changes and then it and but the listener is just like okay i dig it like just the yeah. layman is like this is good music they, they don't even know what's happening that's really cool to be able to do i love that my metaphor for it is it's like sneaking vegetables into a kid's meal like but most people are used to like okay not to say one is better than the other but a lot of mainstream music it's it's awesome like it's catchy but people aren't used to listening to something that's more angular or like more polyrhythmic or um, odd meter and one of the cool things 
um, one of the things I actually think about a lot in what I do is how can we make, how can we expose more people to something that's like less, you know, one, four, five progression, like right. radio pop stuff. Cause a lot of people don't even know where to find other music. Like they just kind of listen to like what's on the radio, what's be, what they hear in games and movies. They're just, you're constantly being bombarded with media. So you don't have any reason to seek elsewhere. And I think I acquired my taste through not being passive about it, by being active and going on blogs and like searching for different bands and going to a lot of concerts, going to a lot of shows. And I, what I think is really promising is that like you do see pop artists and rap artists and mainstream acts now taking more sonic risks and like putting in weird things and sneaking that in. I think the more adventurous you can get and the more of an audience you can like not trick into manipulating to like listening to like musician shit you know i think yeah. the more people's tastes will grow and the more they'll have to, they'll they'll get to expand their palette for that kind of stuff like bands like mew they sneak in so many weird time signatures and and weird song structures even a band like led zeppelin back in the day they were taking like huge risks sonically like i had to learn a zeppelin song and the song structure was so unconventional but so cool you would have never guessed you just listen passively you know right um alex g does some really interesting stuff uh yeah ja uh, the japanese house like the coolest it's so catchy it's so feel good but there's like some really weird chord progressions going on and i love it i think that there's this uh musical renaissance going on um you know not to sound like an old man but <laughs> you know everyone is has access to everything and all these little subgenres that would have had this much, you know, following now can be reached by so many different people. And like you said, if someone wants to fall down the rabbit hole uh, with blogs or playlists or whatever, or just simply asking someone, you know, on social media, Hey, I love your music. What are you into? Boom. It gives you the opportunity. And then those people in turn are creating new music where they're dropping in, you know, chords voicings that you wouldn't have heard in a rock song yeah. or anything or a dance song or a pop song it's really cool yeah um I, I i have a lot of friends who write for major labels and stuff and they always get the feedback like this isn't uh you know radio friendly or this isn't this is too weird this is too emotional i even just did some commercial stuff and i was told that it was like too emotional I had to like fix a bunch of it but you know i think the more we're able to like kind of change that and and get people listening to stuff that's emotional, that's weird. Um, the uh, more the ceiling is raised for artists, totally. you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for being part of the uh, charge of people making that happen. It's, it's oh, very cool. Of course. <laughs> I try. <laughs> yeah, you're killing it. Uh, okay, off of music for a second. Books. What are some books that have influenced you or shaped you or fiction, nonfiction, music books, how, just wherever you want to take that question? books um hmm. you know admittedly i am not the most avid reader i feel like my so i burnt myself out plenty in college i studied art at ucla um i double major art and education so i thought i was gonna be a teacher i was a teacher for a while actually i was an art oh, teacher wow. yeah <laughs> so i know your life uh <laughs> <laughs> i really do enjoy teaching i had to quit because I started touring too much and I kept in having to hire a substitute. So it just got too complicated. Um, and yeah, I guess I read a lot of, uh, uh, <laughs> I read a lot of like modernist books. I find those like just people's take on art and what art should be, uh, what art is and how it is impacted socio politically, you know, I, I find that to be really fascinating. I think art is a response to like whatever the climate is, right? Uh, so I think I liked a lot of my modernism textbooks because of that. That also being said, I, I re uh, read some philosophy stuff too from Immanuel Kant and it really got me thinking. Um, yeah, but I don't think it really relates to music. It's just like stuff on the side that I'm interested in. No, but that's okay. I mean, I think like when you're creating something musical everything that's influencing you as a person is somehow finding its way in there you know or if yeah. just something that makes someone happy then the mood that's created by whatever that is is going to funnel into everything they do so it connects in a weird way i guess 
Yeah. Very thin. Yeah. It's, um, I think everything is tied together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, video games? Video games. Video games? <laughs> I'm going to date myself right now, but I grew up playing Roller Coaster Tycoon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys know that game, but uh, it was a fun game on the computer. You build your own theme park and you get to customize uh, yes. you know the rides and it was really fun uh, I, I i like um i really like fighting games because okay i call them like the hookup of video game world because you don't need to become emotionally invested in any of the characters you just go and just like beat the crap out of each other and then that's it and i love that like there's something kind of fun about doing doing that so i, I really like soul Calibur. i think that's my favorite my, my player is always Yoshimitsu, that skeleton dude, because he has the sword pogo move, which is super cheap. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think I like games like that because I honestly don't have a lot of time. Um, I was just thinking last night that I was learning my solo that I wrote, um, the one where I was singing when I was cooking. And I remember thinking, this is totally like a video game because I, I have to, I'm not going to let myself play the next part until I can play this first part like like 50 times through without messing up and until I can get it clean and I have to slow it down first. So I kind of felt like clearing levels. So yeah. maybe my favorite video game is actually playing guitar. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love that you just said that because an analogy we use with a lot of the students here is like, as you're gaining new skills, it's like unlocking achievements yes. in a game. Because yeah. a lot of the kids will come in, they want us to teach them songs from video games. So I was like, well, it's a cool way to like cross those two things together and make the learning the song like a game in itself. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it just feel like unlocking a new skill. And I think that mindset actually helps me stay less nervous about things because if, you know, there's no way to really quit. the. I mean, if you die, you quit the game. I guess the only <laughs> way to quit the game and lose the game is if you die. So don't die. Uh, but you know, like you can always, it, it, it does feel like, you know, if you get a, play a bad gig, um, you get another chance the next night, right. the new boss that you get to defeat. Um, so yeah. And, and every, every new skill, I'm constantly like learning things. Like I just learned how to comp myself, um, and program a drum beat in Ableton. It's like, I've been doing this for so long. There's so much to learn and I'm never going to learn it all, but that's sick. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I just literally, I, I've been, I was a Pro Tools guy forever. Then I got really into Logic and I have all this time. So I just ordered Ableton to try and understand it. But the way it's not linear doesn't make sense to me, but I'm excited to try and learn because we have time to learn now. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like necessity forces you to learn. Like most of the things that I've picked up recently because I had to, because it's like, if you don't do this then you can't go to the next step. So you right. have to learn how to do this. You have to be uncomfortable. Um, okay, gonna get back to musical gear, get go, going a little nerdier now. I apologize in advance. Um, I have a list in front of me, that's what I'm reading from. No worries. <laughs> um, your tapping style, like how did, how did, what made that your thing as opposed to more conventional guitar strummy stuff? Like, did that just come to you? Did that feel natural? Uh, I think it's just a product of how I play piano. Like for me, picks always kind of felt like an artificial extension of my body. Didn't really quite click. But, you know, hey, talk about learning new skills. I recently tremolo picked on the new record. Nice. Studio, because it needed it. I was like, this needs like an epic explosion in the sky buildup. And I'm going to just like tremolo pick, even though I don't know how to do it. So I learned. Uh, and sometimes I need the pick for attack, like certain sections. Mm -hmm. I want to sound a little more pokey. You can also compensate with a compressor, but for the sake of the studio, I was like, oh, I'll just use a pick for that part. But, um, you know, for the most part, I do tap. Uh, and that's just because polyphony on piano, like my left hand is, you know, uh, the harmony. And my right hand is usually the lead melody. And I find that on guitar, I kind of treat my low, uh, low strings like that. Uh, like uh, the harmony, like the left hand part, awesome. my upper strings, like the lead melody. But then that's not to say that we can trade places and intersect, you know, it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it feels, it feels more right to me to play like that. That's awesome. It's so cool because, you know, to most people that feels really weird. And then to watch you do it, it's brilliant. It's effortless. It's literally like falls right out of you. And it's, it's very, <laughs> Cool. 
Well, I'm sitting I'm here <laughs> playing it. I'm playing these riffs that I write. It takes me sometimes like two or three hours to write a, a really detailed riff, and then to learn it takes another hour or so. So, you know, it's not like I'm sitting there. I don't want anyone to think I just sit here and like shit excellence. Like I'm sitting there like, playing the You same don't thing. shit excellence? Come on. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like playing the same thing with my lonesome, boring self. <laughs> playing the trying to clear this level <laughs> you know like for hours i forget to eat ah! <laughs> again but i recovered <laughs> <laughs> it looks so strange when that happens because uh, it looks as though you're falling over which obviously you're not but it's, uh, it's like you're doing cartwheels so yeah <laughs> if i actually do fall over <laughs> you're gonna be like pick up your phone <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> all right i see uh, this uh what do you think of Rush? Because it's Rush. flowing in the comments. What Love you... Rush. A lot of the new album is inspired by like super 80s Rush, like super cheesy. We actually took a Rush-esque photo where we were all in white kimonos. Like, you know, the, the famous. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, we kind of wanted to, to imitate that. Um, quick tip. Okay, Rush is awesome. Love. Uh, we, we were listening to them on tour. Quick tip about crossing the border through Canada is um, if, if you want to get good on the good side of the border patrol, just talk about Rush. <laughs> like Canada's treasure. Talk about like Neil Peart or something, and then they'll wow. let you through, no problem. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. There's one particular person here who all they want to learn is Rush songs, and it's like from the beginning, like they had never played an instrument, drummer, and they wanted to learn Rush right off the bat. So the drum teacher is like, "I'll teach you Tom Sawyer, but it's going to take six months." And that's all we're going to do every week for six months and you need to practice X amount of hours each week. And then he changed his mind. But I mean, it, epic music. You know, I feel like learning artists that I look up to helps me appreciate them way more because you actually get to like kind of see their thought process. And um, sure. the best way to learn to, to grow, I think as a musician is learning other people's music because if you're just constantly writing with yourself, you're, you're kind of just in a box with, your own language and your own thoughts but when you try to step into the shoes of someone else and learn what they did it, it's a great opportunity to expand your musical vocabulary and toolkit another thing is jamming with people who play a different style than you like yeah the moral of everything is just make yourself really uncomfortable do things that you don't like to do because it's the only way to grow very true very very true uh okay you're on a desert island Avoid. and you can have one guitar and one amp and one pedal. What would it be? Is there powering on this island or is yeah, it? So any, any power you need, it's fine. Yes. <laughs> it's a cruel the voltage is steady. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I can have a guitar and amp and a pedal, but there's just no power. Yes. No, you have all the power you need. Yes. Strong um, current. Yeah. And all the adapters. Yeah. So you're good. You know what? My home setup, I'm so comfortable with it and I'm so in love with it. I play out of an AC-10 from Vox. Can I get tubes shipped to me? Like, can I? <laughs> yeah, yeah no, it's, it's whatever you need to maintain this rig okay. is good. Yes. Sweet. Um, and then I think I'll go with, I like my sparkle Tommy, but there's something really special about the sunburst one I had that I accidentally acquired at NAMM one year because I didn't have a guitar and I had to do a demo and I borrowed it. So... There's something about that neck and that guitar, the wood in it. It just like the tone is so much nicer and fuller um, than my other guitars. And it just feels better too. I don't know how to explain it. Sometimes you can have literally like four of the same guitar, but then one of them just is totally just interacts with you a little bit better. You like have that connection. I think non-guitarists can't understand that. I think it's, yeah. you have to know how it feels in your hands and how it reacts and it, it bonds with you in a weird way. Yeah, I think it's because it's made from organic material and yes. you know, it's not like a machine made it, it's always the same. Like wood is so variable, like wood is so different every single time and it, it responds to the environment. It, you know, actually accumulates history. So I think it has something to do with that. I'm not a pro though. So. I think you know what you're saying, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's funny with the wood. Um, so I, I play PRS guitars and um, they've been very good to me for years. And I'm the type of person where like, I love the McCarty model. That's mm -hmm. the red one above my head somewhere. And I was like, well, I love it. I need to have more of the same thing because in case something happens to this one, 
And I've gone through three or four of them, but none of them feel like that first one. And everything is the same, same yeah. pickup, same, same like year that they, and it just, it's, it's something. I hear you totally. Yeah. And in some regard, I'm really scared of losing any of my guitars because I've like <laughs> clocked in time with them and I feel like, you know, maybe I'll get another one, but it just won't be the same. And then a pedal, what pedal, a pedal on oh, your yeah. desert island. I'm sorry. Uh, huh. I was just talking today to someone about the most important pedal any guitarist can have. Uh, I actually think it's a really boring answer, but it's an EQ pedal because I feel like okay. it, you, you can sculpt your tone certain ways. And if you don't like your amp or something's up, you can use the EQ pedal to like compensate for certain areas. Um, yeah, uh, I, I use my EQ pedal a lot at different venues because sometimes the acoustics sound different. And uh, I also use it to make up for like differences in pickups. Sometimes I have what? pickups that are bassier, so I'll have to like boost the treble a bit, push down those bass frequencies. So I think maybe an EQ pedal, but I don't know. You know what? Scrap that. I'm not going to care about tone on a desert. I'm going to want to make some <laughs> ethereal sounding ambient jam. So maybe I'll get like a, a sick modulated delay or a chorus pedal. I always write, I, my favorite stuff comes when I plug into a chorus pedal. So probably uh, the Walrus Audio Julia or uh, love that oh, one. Lush. Yeah, or the slow is really nice too. Uh, or the Caroline audio, or Car Caroline guitar somersault. That's a really nice chorus as well. What's Low on your <laughs> what, um, what's your pedal board looking like these days? What's your uh, signal flow? Want to see it? Yeah. <laughs> Can I, am I allowed to turn this camera around? Yeah, people will figure it out. It's okay. okay They'll turn their heads. Okay, well, I'll just do this. Um, so I got, sorry, this, I'm trying to figure out where to put that. Uh, this is Mercury 7 by Maris. It's my favorite reverb ever. There is this pitch vector knob on it, and it's awesome because you can control. So you can have your, your reverbs decay, either go like all the way, like the pitch can kind of go infinitely up or infinitely mm -hmm. down. And I love the infinitely down one because it kind of just sounds super post-apocalyptic. It takes your pitch and just goes like, Ooh. Oh yes, I, I, I have the, uh, when they did the Black Friday, the blackout pedals. So yeah. Blackout I, version of that one. It whoa, is, that's- But you can't read any of the knobs, but it's okay, it's just killer. <laughs> yeah, you can memorize it. Yeah, uh, all right, sorry. Yeah, it's, it's a very versatile, cool reverb. It was honestly like studio MVP this time. About the Caroline guitar somersault. Um, and then the Julia, I have two choruses because one of them I use more as like a vibrato sound and then one of them I use more as like a traditional chorus um, that doesn't sound as out of face as the other one. Uh, Nastatron by Zvex, it's a fuzz pedal. Um, got that MXR 10 band EQ, uh, MXR bass octave pedal. It's really awesome for like fattening certain sections up. Uh, it's, oh. a bass, it's a bass pedal, but it sounds sick for guitar to be, like, to be honest. Um, Avalanche run delay, and then I have another carbon copy deluxe delay next to it. Again, I have them set at different types of notes and different rates, so I just don't like adjusting stuff live because I can't really see sometimes the lights really weird. So I just like having two, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, and also, if one of your delays craps out, you can kind of improvise with the other one, and I've had to do that before. Um, and then Longsword, this is a gain pedal that I love and it has built-in EQ, so you don't have to worry about losing clarity. Like, again, I was talking about the importance of EQ, and I think with things like Overdrive and, and Chorus and like all these pedals that sometimes get murky, you can kind of control your tone so that you still have that. You can also, um, um, I think buffers sometimes also help too, but I used to have one on my board, but I don't have one anymore. Um, the um, Ground Control Audio, Amaterasu Bright Preamp. It's great for like giving a quick uh, boost to your highs. Oh, there's a dark setting as well, but like it kind of just adds a little bit more gain to what you're playing. Kind of like, like a little, a slight just boost. Um, and then the compressor, the Warden from um, Earthquaker is my favorite compressor ever. It's so sick. Like just even that sustain knob, it's so cool for what it does to your, your clean tone. You can make things like a little more driven. Some of my more overdriven tones on the record, I didn't even use a gain pedal or overdrive or distortion. It's just cranking that compressor. So, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. Like I've learned so much through just playing with that thing 
while listening to what it does to everything else. Anything in the effects loop or everything just right in front of the amp? Uh, what was that? Is anything in the effects loop or just right to the front of the amp? Oh, um, it's uh, all those pedals are, are in an effects loop, but in the studio, we isolated it. Like, so, so we've, we wouldn't have more than two or three right. in a time because of, I guess, uh, you know, sometimes I think uh, you can get weird noise, weird interaction between things, and we just wanted, for the sake of the recording, like, purity. <laughs> what a weird word. <laughs> very cool. Thank you so much for sharing your board. That's, that's very cool. That's like a peek behind the curtain. So thank yeah, you. of course. It's always changing, but those are, I think, my my main players. Like if this was like a Pokemon, these would be my main five. <laughs> Great <laughs> Um, all right, so they're gonna, the, the live thing stops exactly at an hour, so 10 more minutes to ask questions of you. So yeah, um, no worries. thank you so much if I get cut off, but thank you so much for your time and everything. This has been super, super cool. Yeah, um, thank oh, I'm you, like thank super you. excited to answer these. These are great questions, so sorry if I'm a bit verbose. No, you're, that's fantastic. Like, it, listen, if I asked one question, you took an hour to answer it, that's awesome because it, it's, <laughs> it's such a cool perspective, so. Um, a lot of our students of all ages deal with anxiety from performing stage fright. You know, they're not used to doing it. Um, have you ever had to deal with any of those type feelings? And if so, how have you compensated for them? Oh my God, all the time. And I still do. I'm still not good at it. I mean, I told you I grew up, I grew up playing piano recitals where everyone's just quiet. Like everyone's <sighs> too embarrassed and ashamed to even breathe. So you're just in this, this echoey reverby, like, concert hall and everyone's just sitting there with their hands in their laps just staring at you not breathing not moving um and you can hear everything and I've, i i used to not eat for like five days before i had to play because i was so wow. nervous i just couldn't eat i was just practice and then i think it was because i was too focused on perfection and and, and like the shame of of making a mistake but what's cool in the rock world is who cares? Like you make a mistake, we're all human. It's like, it's about putting on a cool show. It's about looking like you're having fun. And I think that has helped me so much liberate myself from the mindset of if you fuck up live, you're a complete failure of a human being. <laughs> like, you know, so I think um, one trick that I've started doing is when I'm on stage, I, I don't really like um, look at the audience. I look at the crowd, not to say that I don't love the audience. I don't appreciate them for being there but it takes me out of my zone. What I do is I look at my bandmates and I, we all smile at each other and we always interact with each other because it feels like you're not alone on stage. So if you're having a bad gig, like look up to your bandmates and just give each other a smile and like support each other when something's going wrong. Laugh it off. Like when, sometimes when David messes up and I hear him, I just like look at him and I laugh. And you know, he does the same thing with me. Um, really takes the pressure off knowing that like other people have your back. And another thing I do is I, I always want to play a set that I really love because it helps me really enter the music. So when I'm playing, I always close my eyes and I try to transport myself to where I was when I wrote the song and what I was trying to, the story that I was trying to tell and the mood that I was trying to paint. And so when I focus on that, it really not only helps me play better, but then I'm not thinking about where I am. I'm just thinking about that story and expressing it. I know this sounds so like hippie-ish and weird, <laughs> oh, like, it's fantastic. Astrally project to another dimension. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> and that's not what I'm saying, but like, it really has helped me. I've had shows where I had a panic attack, like right before I went on stage. I literally watched a dude die once, like right before I had to play, and it was oh, wow. really intense. And like, I was like, okay, gotta be a robot, gotta not feel an emotion, just think think about the song and how it makes you feel. And it made my anxiety go away, and I actually felt better after the set. That's awesome. Yeah, it's there's a lot of little tips and tricks. I the, 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 imagining the audience in their underwear thing doesn't help because then I just like laugh. Too they much. just laugh. Yeah, that's the worst thing. Yeah. <laughs> like we have so many of the parents are like, well, my dad said to picture everyone in their underwear. I'm like, really? Is that gonna help anyone? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's also weird and creepy. Like, <laughs> oh look, I can see all these questions. All right, I'll ignore that. Sorry. There's questions people are typing, and I guess there's a button I can press and see their questions, but mm. I, I've missed them. Um, I'm 
trying to see what this last one was. I saw something that was. No worries. Yeah, that's nothing. Um, so I guess this is a redundant question, but uh, your favorite piece of gear. My favorite piece of gear. Hmm. Um, like if you had one thing forever and ever, I'd imagine it's that the, the sunburst one you mentioned. Yeah, I like that sunburst one a lot, but honestly, I'm on the search for, okay, oh, oh my gosh, a piano, duh, I love piano. It's actually my favorite instrument. And I know that oh, seems wow. like a completely bastard thing for me to say when I'm talking about guitars and being in a band, but something about just writing on piano, it's linear. It's the perfect instrument for composition and approaching songwriting poly um, polyphonically because you're, you know, you have all the notes spelled out in order for you. You don't have mm -hmm. to worry about different positions that you can play a chord. So for me, I always sit down at a piano. I try to make it a rule once a week. I sit down and I just improvise for 30 minutes and I record it. And if there's anything that jumps out um, in that recording, I try to extrapolate it and like refine it a bit later. But, That's awesome. Yeah, I love piano, man. And it's so beautiful. Like, um, it's, it's very expressive. Um, I wish I, I could, I had a, a, a keyboard that I could plug into like pedals and stuff too, but. Ooh, that would be crazy. <laughs> yeah, um, my answer is piano. Okay, so the last question I'll get in, cause I got four minutes, um, ties into something you just said. Um, so you say you do piano 30 minutes a week. What is your practice routine? Are you super disciplined? Like whenever you pick up the guitar, do you have a plan or you just play? <laughs> <laughs> That's my big confession is that I actually uh, don't practice enough. I practice while I write. So what I do is um, when I write a song, like I said, I sing it first and then I teach myself it. And then I actually sit there and practice what I've written in my head until I can play it very fluently. And I do that for like five hours. Sometimes it's my whole day. My whole day is learning this riff. Um, and that way I feel like I'm, I'm writing and I'm practicing at the same time. I never write anything I can already play. That's another weird thing about me is like, it's not like I, I immediately know what I'm doing. I have to like do these weird jumps because I'm writing not out of convenience, but out of what I hear. Um, so that's another thing. If for anyone who's in a rut, like changing up your tuning uh, this is just something I'm, I'm really passionate about, but changing up your tuning can kind of pull your, um, you know, comfort out from under your feet. And then you end up having to use your ear to dictate your melodies instead of the shapes that you're so familiar and comfortable with playing. So I do that a lot. And that's how I end up practicing. I have to practice all these jumps and intervals that I'm not used to having to fret. That's great though. That forces yourself to be constantly challenged in wacky ways. Yeah. It's like, just finding ways to like shake things up a bit for yourself to keep things from going stale. Awesome. Well, I'll say goodbye before I get shut down. Thank you, Yvette, so, so much. Um, yeah, this no has been worries. super inspiring. Um, I saw a bunch of students on here and then I'll share the audio with the rest of our students. Anyone watching, we do guitar lessons online. We have a bunch of great teachers. So if you're interested in that, please check us out, Rob's School of Music. And of course, follow Yvette check out all her music and she rocks and thank you so much yeah thanks for having me great questions everyone really enjoyed this awesome well, great great answers <laughs> yeah absolutely all right stay super safe wash your hands okay keep smiling yeah everyone stay healthy and have fun try not to get too bummed out awesome all right thank you so much have a great <laughs> right. night take care bye bye